1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to thank those of you who are less than six years old for sitting through a whole service with your mom and dad. So thank you for being here. We're grateful that you're here. And if you decide that you feel a little squirmy at some point or make a noise at some point, and if your mother is concerned about that, you don't need to be concerned about that, mothers. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> That's perfectly okay. We're grateful that the kids are here with us this evening. So 1 Peter 3. chapter 18, I want to remind us as we look at this passage this evening that this is God's word and this is a precious little bit of diamond in God's word that we get to study together this evening. So 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Let's read this together. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Lord, please bless the preaching of this word this evening. I want to invite you to imagine something just for a moment. Imagine that right now, out of this spot in this room as we're gathered together as a church, imagine that you were suddenly transported and you were standing in front of the worst person in the world. And you can imagine who that might be in your mind. We might have different people that would come to mind. Perhaps someone on death row. Perhaps someone who has abused and harmed victims that were innocent and vulnerable. Perhaps a, a leader in this world who, who might be instituting war or something against, against people that are defenseless. Perhaps people who do devious crimes that no one ever hears about, but, but, but imagine that you're in front of that person and you only have a few minutes and you are supposed to say something, what could you say? What could you say to the worst person in the world, whoever that is in your mind? Is it a terrorist? Is it a murderer? Someone who's committed awful crimes? What would you say to them? What would be your disposition towards that person? What would be the the thing that would come out of your mouth, if for whatever reason they are staring at you, waiting for you to say something, what, what might you say? Well, I, I would submit that this verse might be one thing you could say. There are other verses, certainly. But, but this verse would communicate the best news to the worst person in the world. And if it's good news for the worst person in the world, then it is certainly good news for us when we feel like the worst person, at least that we know this week. It might be that you are going through a week or through a season in your life where you're particularly aware of some areas of life where you are struggling with sin. It might be that you're aware of long-standing battles of rebellion against the Lord, long-standing pockets of darkness in your life. Or maybe it's, it's not you that you're concerned about. Maybe you're thinking of someone else and their long-standing battle with sin. And as you think about them, you think, man, I, I can't believe that this person continues to struggle. And it's bothersome to me. Or you might say, I can't believe I continue to struggle. What, what are you supposed to say to yourself staring at the mirror? Or to that person as you contemplate them in your own mind? Well, I would submit this, this verse, whether it's for the actual worst person in the world, whoever that would be, or just for the, the really bad person that we sometimes see in our own hearts. 
this verse would be good news. It would be very good news. This verse explains why Good Friday is good. It's a somber day. It's a day that we, we have pleasing grief, as the hymn writer says, and mournful joy. But it's a day that is good because this is good news for the worst person in the world or for the worst moment in your week. It's good news. So I just want to walk through the, the three phrases that are in this passage. This won't be a long message. But the three phrases that are in this passage so that we can feel the effect of the good news of Good Friday. Good news for the worst person in the world. Peter writes that Christ suffered once for sin. Christ suffered, that speaks of his experience on the cross, and yet he also explains that his suffering was not arbitrary, it wasn't random, it wasn't an accident, he didn't make a mistake by going to Jerusalem. No, he knew that's where he was going, and he was suffering for a particular reason. This punishment was for sin. He was experiencing a penalty, not a random accident. He wasn't someone who got in a random car accident going down the highway and happened to suffer because of it. No, he was suffering for sin. This was a, a penalty suffering. This was a punishment. You might think of a person like maybe one of those worst people in the world on death row. He was being executed he was being punished. This suffering wasn't random. It wasn't arbitrary. It was for sin. Now, this ought to tell us something about the nature of sin. And Good Friday ought to remind us about the true nature of sin. Sin is not a mild thing to be ignored or minimized. It is a, a heavenly blasphemy, the Bible says, that requires divine punishment. In the throne room of heaven, people that sin have to be punished. Sin cannot go ignored. It must be treated as, an, as a punishable sin that has to be executed. And Christ is suffering, it says, for sin. Thomas Kelly, the hymn writer, wrote it this way. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here, he says, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who awful bears the load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. What he's saying is that it's at the cross that we see the real nature, the scope, the evil of sin. Our tendency is to think sin's not that big a deal. It's relative. We all falter in many ways. We make mistakes. But the cross is the real definition of God's view of our sin. The cross is God's explanation for how serious sin is. When Christ suffered for sin, God was saying to the world, this is how serious sin is. Serious enough for this kind of punishment, this kind of forsakenness, this kind of cursed death, this kind of humiliation, this kind of execution. This is the real divine perspective of sin. So Christ was suffering for sin. But if we know our Bibles at all, it introduces a dilemma. The passage introduces a problem. Because Christ never sinned. Quite the contrary. He was constantly doing good. He wasn't just sometimes doing good. He was always doing good. And he wasn't just doing good things. He was resisting bad things. 
So those things we might think about this week where, oh, gosh, we've done it again. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I did it again. You know, Christ never had that experience the first time. Christ never took an action that he later thought, I don't think that was the right thing to do. He always had done the right thing. He could look back at every week for every week and say, yes, every choice I made was godly this week. There was no exceptions, and he wasn't wrong. He every time obeyed his mom when he was a child. He every time obeyed his father. He always told the truth. He never responded in bitterness. He was never self-righteous. He was never impatient with someone else's weaknesses. He was always kind. He was always loving. He always considered others ahead of his own interest. He always spoke gently. He always did the right thing at the right moment to everyone around him. And yet he's suffering for sin. So Peter explains with the next phrase, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ suffered for sin, but not his own sin. He suffered for all of those sins that we've committed that he did not. He suffered for those sins. That's the nature of this cross moment. He is suffering for sin, but not his own sin. He's suffering for the unrighteous. The nature of Good Friday is substitution. It is Jesus suffering in my place. It is Jesus suffering for my sins. It is Jesus suffering, though he is righteous, for the sins of my unrighteousness. That's the nature of the cross. Horatius Bernard, the 19th century preacher and poet, puts it this way. The very essence of Christ's deliverance is the substitution of himself for us. His life for ours. He did not come to risk his life. Listen to this. He did not come to risk his life. That's why Jesus is a greater hero than those who risk the possibility of losing their lives. No, he did not come just to risk his life. He came to die. He did not come to redeem us by a little loss or a little sacrifice, a little labor, a little suffering. He redeemed us to God by his blood, the precious blood of Christ he gave all he had, even his life for us. That's what Peter is trying to get across here. Christ suffered for sins, but Peter, he's not a sinner. He never sinned. Well, yes, but this was the righteous for the unrighteous. So if you're seven years old and you told your mom something this week that wasn't exactly true, that makes you unrighteous. Or if you're 47 years old or 67 years old and you had a thought this week of anger towards someone else because they didn't respect you the way they ought to, that makes you unrighteous. Or if you were impatient this week while you were driving because this person doesn't seem to understand how to use the right lane, that makes you unrighteous. Or if you looked at something you shouldn't look at or if you said something you shouldn't have said, that makes you unrighteous unrighteous. And that is the person Jesus was dying for, for the unrighteous. And that's why this is such a great verse for that worst person in the world, because that's the nature of Good Friday. It's for unrighteous people. 
Now, listen, brothers and sisters, if we minimize our unrighteousness, which we tend to do all the time, that's what's called self-righteousness. When we tend to exalt our righteousness, we tend to say, look, I think I'm much better than you seem to be implying that I am. The Bible says, no, I don't think you are. I don't think you are, and I don't think you want to act as if you are, because the good news of Good Friday is for unrighteous people. It is not for those, it is never for those who think of themselves as righteous or who think they are more righteous than someone else. If that's the way we think about ourselves, then the gospel is not for us. If we primarily think of ourselves, what's my basic self-perception? More righteous than somebody else. Better than the worst person in the world. And that's mostly how I think about myself. That's not what the gospel is for. That's not who Jesus died for. Jesus died for people who can say, without asterisk, without caveat, without comparison, I am unrighteous. I am unrighteous. Now, that's hard to say. That is hard to say. Because we look at that person who's the worst person in the world, we say, yeah, but I'm not as unrighteous as he is. I'm unrighteous, but, you know, there's levels I'm unrighteous, but, I mean, that is unrighteous. And I am I'm a little, I'm mini-righteous. I'm, I'm a little less than that. But the gospel didn't come to save those who were less unrighteous than somebody else. And that's mostly how I'd like to present myself. Dear God, you'll find me more righteous than some, less righteous than others. I hope that's satisfactory. No. The gospel comes for those who can say, I am the unrighteous. I'm in the same category as that worst person in the world. That's where it gets hard. There's only two categories in this scripture and a thousand others. There's the unrighteous people and there's the righteous one. We tend to think there's like grades. So I'm sort of a first grader in unrighteousness school. And some people have graduated and got a doctorate. But God says there is a mass of unrighteousness. And there has been one who was righteous. What was happening on the cross? Jesus, the righteous one, was suffering the penalty for the unrighteous. He was suffering the penalty of sin for those who would be willing by the grace of God to say, I will admit, I am unrighteous. And I trust your death paying for all of my unrighteousness. The Holy One bore the cost of our unholiness. The righteous one stood in for me as the unrighteous one. He bore our suffering that we should have borne in our place. This obliterates self-righteous indignation. It obliterates it because I'm just one of a big crowd of unrighteous rescued Christians. That's all that I am. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, get in on this. Get in on this. We are a big crowd of the unrighteous people 
that Jesus died for so that the penalty we ought to have received from God didn't have to be meted out on us and instead we could receive his reward. That's the nature of the Christian faith. So it doesn't come to those who would say, I'm kind of righteous, I'm mostly righteous, or I'm more righteous than the worst guy in the world. It comes to those who say, I I am unrighteous and I want to trust that the righteous one died in my place. That's what I want to trust. That's the gospel message. That's what makes Good Friday good. Jesus didn't die as a martyr generally to a world to teach us about love. He didn't die as a, a, a kind guy that was misunderstood and now we appreciate his teaching because we're enlightened or something and we've come to follow after his path. No, he died because our unrighteousness had to be executed before the throne room of God and he was willing to stand there and take that punishment in our place. That's what makes Good Friday good and that's what makes it good for the worst person in the world and this person that really ought to stand right next to him. Now, I think we also need to see this third phrase, the goal of this suffering. Because this is the, if I can even put it this way, this is the highest good of the Good Friday news. This is the highest good. Look, Look at what Peter says. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There's the substitution language. But it had a goal. You see that goal? Look down at your Bible. See the goal? There's that. You always want to pay attention to those that words for, because, because they build connections between the passage, right? He did all of this, that, we might say, so that he might bring us to God. It had this goal. So if you can think of it this way, for that worst person in the world, it wasn't just that he could have his execution pardoned. That is not the end of the good news. The end of the good news is that the person who you most trust me, you most want to know, and that the longings of your heart most need to be fulfilled by knowing, that very person has made it possible for you to know them and be with them forever. And that person is God. It's not just a pardon that makes you clear and headed towards an eternal life of bliss and anonymity. It is a pardon that clears away the barrier of estrangement and alienation from God who made you so that you can know him and be with him forever. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that he could get us to heaven? Yes. So that he could get us out of hell? Yes. So that he could make our consciences clean? Yes, so they could have a people that are no longer running towards sin. Yes, but why ultimately? So that he could bring us to God. Listen, we teach our children this. What's at the very beginning of the Bible? What happens at the very beginning of the Bible? At the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, our representative, he sins. And then what happens? God throws him out of the garden with fellowship with God. He throws him out. Actually, the word there in the original might be translated expelled. He expels him. He says, out, you cannot come in. And the rest of human history is suffering because of that expulsion from the presence of God. We were made to be with 
God, to know God, to love God, to see God, to be overawed by God, to be comforted by God, to be strengthened by God, to be cherished by God, to be near to God. And everything we ache for in our lives ultimately is just pointing us to that ultimate purpose. But because of our sin, our unrighteousness, and God's holiness, there was a barrier that could not be broken until Christ came and the righteous for the unrighteous bore the punishment for that sin, broke down that necessary barrier so that unrighteous people could be brought to a righteous God. Now that is the goal. That is the goal of this suffering. John Piper says it this way, the ultimate good of the gospel is seeing and savoring the beauty and value of God. God's wrath and our sin obstruct that vision and that pleasure. You can't see and savor God as supremely satisfying while you are full of rebellion against him and he is full of wrath against you. The removal of this wrath and this rebellion is what the gospel is for. The ultimate aim of the gospel is the display of God's glory and the removal of every obstacle to our seeing it and savoring it as our highest treasure. Behold your God, Piper says, is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. If we could go backward in time and apply the gospel to that moment, we might imagine God having sent out Adam and Eve, plants the cross right next to that doorway, and Christ suffering for their sin and ours, then is able to say, and welcome back. Come back. Because Christ has suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous, and he only had to do it once because his suffering was sufficient completely to pay for our sins so that we might be brought back to God. That is what makes Good Friday good. We were banished rightly, and we continue in the family tradition every day and every week, and yet there is a good piece of news, a very good bit of news for the worst person in the world and for his brother, you. There is a very good bit of news. Let me tell you what it is. Christ suffered once for sin. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Now that's good news. That's good news for you. That's good news for that worst person that you sometimes think about. That is good news. That is a good, astonishing, amazing, incredible bit of news. It forces us to admit that we are the unrighteous because we don't want to exclude ourselves by thinking of ourselves as righteous. We admit that we are the unrighteous, which puts us in the same category as that worst person in the world. But we look at him. The one who suffered. And we say, that was for me. That was 
because of me. That was for my sin. And so completely did he bear it away that now the person who is alienated from God can come running back to be with God again. Listen, the way to God is not made by trying harder or feeling worse for your sin. Did you hear that? The person who makes the way to God is not you trying harder or feeling worse for your sin. Good as those may be, there is only one mediator, only one way back to God, and it is not you, and it is not me, and it is not in you to get there. But there is a way back to God. The way back to God is not ultimately made by church attendance or Bible reading. It's not made by trying harder next week or promising God that I'll finally turn my life around. It's not made by thinking I'm better than some other person. Those are good things, but they do not bring us to God. The way to God is not opened by Mary or countless Catholic saints. It's not created when the perfect political system finally comes into power. It's not through your mom or your dad. Kids, your dad cannot bring you to God. I don't care how godly he is. He can't get you there. But there is somebody who can. And if you believe in him, he can bring you to God. This is what Good Friday celebrates. This is the good news. For the worst person in the world and the worst moments in your life or your week or your day or your morning, this is the good news. Christ, this is a terrible week. It's a terrible week. But you know what? At the end of the worst day, the worst week, the worst hour of that day, talking to the worst person in the world, you know what I get to say? Christ suffered. Christ suffered for our sins. That's better news than the worst news you get this week or your lifetime. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And if he suffered to do that, you can be sure that he will. Because the Son of God never suffered on the cross to leave some of those he suffered for, falling short of meeting the God he died to bring them to. Good news for the worst person in the world the worst moments of your life. Let's let that good news thrill our hearts this Good Friday and until he returns. Let me take a moment and pray, and then I want to invite the ushers and the band to join me. Lord, I want to pray right now for all of us that are aware of some worst moments in our week. I pray, Lord, that we would apply this truth to those moments. Lord, that this service, this Good Friday service, would not just be a, a church liturgy that we go to and go through the motions, that, that it would have the effect of bringing good news to our most convicted moments and our most self-righteous moments. Lord, moments where we see our own sin or moments where we are grieved by someone else's sin. Lord, let this good news change our disposition. We have good news. We have good news. We have Good Friday good news. Lord, I pray that you would remove from us, Lord, the impossible task of self-righteous legalism. 
seeking to make our own way to you. Let us rejoice and enjoy and benefit from your, Lord, your perfect way back to God through your death and through your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the ushers to begin to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper, which we wanted to conclude our time this evening by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So you'll notice this is a slightly different uh, element situation that we've done on Sundays. We wanted to do something a little special for this evening. The black containers contain gluten-free bread. So if you are a gluten-free person, uh, please enjoy that. If you're not a gluten-free person, please do not enjoy that uh, so that the gluten-free people can. You can partake of the juice and the bread. We, we would welcome you to do this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can enjoy this bread and this juice, and we'll talk about what they mean in just a moment. But if you're not a believer, we would encourage you just to let those elements pass by, and you can enjoy the song we're going to listen to in a moment and the explanation, and perhaps you can come to know the Lord Jesus today. But for you, this is just a time for observation. What we're going to do right now as they're distributing those elements is we want to listen to this song. This song is, is written to help us appreciate the symbolism of this meal. This meal that represents the good news we were just talking about. The death of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. His body broken for us as represented by the bread and his blood shed for us as represented by the cup. So what we want to do right now is just as they continue to pass it out, we're going to listen to this song and then I'll come up and lead us to partake together.
Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's take, eat this bed, remembering him again. took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins let's drink this remembering it represents his blood shed in our place for our sins Lord Jesus, thank you for offering yourself in our place. But we freely admit ourselves to be the unrighteous for whom you died. 
cause of our sin, Lord, the sinfulness of our hearts led to your death, dying in our place, being executed for our punishment. And now, Lord, we turn to you. As our risen Lord, still scarred by your death in our place, and we declare how amazed we are at your sacrifice for us, how grateful we are for this very best of news. Lord, how much we declare our trust is completely in the sufficiency of your death. And Lord, we we take our task and our job very seriously to bear witness to you as the Savior of sinners. Lord, we don't save ourselves, but we do sing and bear witness to the Savior. So Lord, receive this song now so that we sing back to you, Lord, the very best news, the very best news. Receive this song, Lord, and may it give you pleasure. In Jesus' name.